we are actually probably the only business <laughs> almost out there that we don't we don't want to get big because we want to kind of be in control ourselves. Back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. This week, we're bringing you a very special bonus episode with Anne Linnell, a former Swedish barista champion, international coffee judge, and the co-visionary behind Kopi Coffee Roasters, an internationally acclaimed coffee roaster based in the Swedish town of Helsingborg. In this candid conversation, Anne discusses the importance of building a values-based business and shares why taking a step back and simplifying Kopi's business model has created a fundamental work-life balance that so many successful entrepreneurs crave. Welcome, Anne. Thank you so much. I wonder if you give us some background on how you and Charles got started in coffee and where it's led you to now. Well, we've been uh, we've been running our company now since 2007, uh, so for 15 years. And uh, uh, Charles was actually the one getting into coffee before me. Uh, I was to, studying um, art science and architecture, and yeah, didn't really even enjoy coffee very much. But um, uh, Charles, he was he got involved with one of the first uh, barista competitions in in Sweden. I think it was 2004. And yeah, he competed. It didn't go very well, but he still kind of thought it was uh, fun, um, met a lot of people and got overall more interested in, in coffee. And then uh, the following year, he decided to give it a go um, again. Um, and that time he used um, a much better coffee uh, roasted by... Um, Kaffa in, in Norway, and uh, he ended up winning the, the Swedish Barista Championship, and that was kind of got the ball rolling, so to speak. He competed in the Worlds, did okay, I guess, <laughs> but he was offered a job at, um, uh, in Oslo at one of the, the best coffee bars uh, in Europe, I would say, or maybe in the world back then, called Java, and he moved up. And then the question was if I was going to stay behind or um, he really liked it. Um, he really loved living in Oslo. So I ended up moving there um, the following year. I actually decided to enter the, the Swedish Barista Championship as well uh, in 2006, which I uh, also won, uh, which then took me to the Worlds, as you know. So then 2007 you decided to open your own establishment. What was the initial vision? Well, it's a good question. I mean, we were, we were young. We were 26 at the time. And uh, I guess, you know, full of energy and full of excitement. And uh, also, I would say we were quite naive. But um, we felt that there was a gap on the Swedish, um, Swedish coffee scene. The Italian coffee culture was still very, very uh, present. And uh, we felt like 
we we wanted to give it a go and and introduce something new to the people in our city, um, but also obviously around Sweden and and internationally. So how did it go? Was it success straight away? And no, no, not at all. I mean, it depends on how you how you judge success uh, money-wise. Uh, like, it wasn't a, a financial su- uh, success. But we we didn't lose money either. But, it was, I mean, profit-wise, it was, it was small. But I think, I mean, it was hard. It was, um, the first few years was, uh, it was a battle, I have to say. Um, it was a challenge to to have at least the locals understand what we were doing and appreciate what we were doing. The Swedish coffee culture is it's still very much dominated by big commercial roasters, very kind of dark roasted coffee, heavily dosed, very far from what we're doing. So I think now people in general seem to be much more aware of, uh, of quality when it comes to all kinds of stuff, but I mean, especially uh, in gastronomy, the awareness of good produce, buying organic vegetables and locally uh, produced organic meat and so on is so much bigger than it was 15 years ago when we started. So I think if you are interested in the gastronomic world, I think the step to kind of get into specialty coffees is is smaller now than it, it was um, back then, for sure. So when did you start to feel that you had a real business? I would say that probably four or five years in, when we started selling much more internationally, we were more comfortable with what we were doing. Of course, we had learned a lot. It's a steep learning curve when, when you start uh, an establishment like like the way we did, at least. So I think... It started feeling much better a few years in, for sure, than it did from the start. How did those international clients come about? I would say that we can thank WBC for that and being representing Sweden in, in WBC. Paul Charles and I had us meet a lot of people, uh, a lot of like-minded, uh, of course, and uh, the the word spread, and all of a sudden people were interested in in what we were doing. So you were initially a roaster and a cafe with a kitchen. You ran that for 10 years and then ultimately decided at one point you were going to transform to a roastery-only business model. Why that? Well, there was a, a few few reasons behind, uh, behind that decision. I think between Charles and I, we, we had been talking about potentially only doing the roasting for probably a couple of years before we decided to, to um, take that step. Another reason for me personally was that my mother, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, she was yeah, sick for the last three years of us running the cafe. And I felt like it was, um, you know, the, you just, or I at least changed my priorities, how I wanted to distribute my time, so to speak. And I'm I'm very grateful for for making making that decision because she passed away about ten months after we closed the cafe, so it gave me all the time I could you know spend as much time as I wanted with her, which would have been really difficult with uh, being involved with running a cafe six days a week. 
that obviously was a, a very important personal decision and, and, and those 10 extra months that you had with your mother, precious. What about the businesses? Has it been a good decision to do that for the business-wise? Yeah, well, <laughs> funny enough, uh, we were 100% agreed on, on closing um, because we felt like we kind of lacked that passion that we initially had running a shop. All of a sudden, we released so much time uh, that we could kind of reinvest in into the roasting part of our business. And we could focus much more on both like customer care, stuff like quality control and so on. I mean, overall, it was um, it was really good for, for us as a business. And also on the personal level, uh, obviously, we were... Um, able to work less and uh, actually make more money than we did when we had our kind of two two businesses running. So Now, the fact that you no longer have that sort of coffee-making thing going on, where I mean, there are a lot of roasters, do you think it um, has any impact on, you know, on your ability to demonstrate your amazing coffee credentials to wholesale clients? Mm, I think... Um, I mean, yes and no, but w- what we have done since uh, since we closed the cafe, we actually did open up the roastery on Saturdays, serving coffee and um, and some sweet stuff uh, just for a couple of hours. But that was um, very, very popular. We had lots of people from both near and um, afar coming for those open Saturdays. But then we had to uh, take a break during the pandemic of obvious reasons. And now we're actually um, kind of bringing it back again. So we were missing, we were missing that kind of connection and uh, interaction with customers for sure. But uh, we also feel like we want to invest time doing that, but we, we can't invest very much time. Sounds like a great compromise. Um, that sort of limited edition experience, uh, open days on Saturdays at Kopi. Um, I wish we were close enough to do that from here in our, in our London base. Now, COVID was a win for many roasters, especially the highest quality roasters with international audiences or good local audiences. Did COVID, um, did you have a, see a boom in your business during the COVID period? Mm, we did, absolutely. I think 2021 was... Um, our best year so far and 2020 was actually good as well we saw a dip just when when the kind of pandemic broke out in what was in march april of 2020 but uh and it was for i don't know two maybe three months it was uh it was a dip in the sales because i guess people were just freaking out and uh, didn't know what what would happen but then as soon as uh, summer started the sales picked up again, actually. And I mean, I guess like most other roasters in most places of the world, we we lost a bit of wholesale because of restrictions in some countries where you couldn't, you can stay open. But we uh, we gained sales uh, on the retail side instead. Uh, instead. And, and is retail continued to be a very important part of your business going forward? Yeah, I would say so. I think we've seen a little drop in both wholesale and retail this year, um, but I think it's because of the, um, yeah, just like uh, the strange times we, we live in now with the Russian invasion and so on. 
So that was 2007. If I do my maths correctly, that's 15 years in business. What would you say is the keys to your success in business and keeping a viable coffee business alive and thriving ultimately and and, and, and with its such great reputation? What, what, what would you say is your recipe, your and Charles' recipe for success? It's hard to say. Uh, <laughs> we all measure success uh, differently. Um, I think to us, I mean, success in a way is to to be able to work less um, than we've done in the past. That's something that we... Now we also have a two-year-old son. So a real luxury is to be able to spend spend more time with him. But I also think not compromising, not kind of um, caving in to what other people are uh, think that you should do with your business or because it's it's easy and especially the first few years when you both get a lot of positive reactions but you also get a lot of negativity <laughs> that was my experience at least uh, or our experience I think if you just uh, kind of stand tall and um, do what you believe in I think that will hopefully take you a long way for example the our coffee portfolio uh, or our range of coffees that we've decided to work with. I'm sure that we would have (laughs) sold much more coffee if we would have offered specific origins, for example, that that we simply just didn't like. You know, obviously, lots have changed on the production side as well. There's been huge progress in in the coffee growing uh, regions and, and quality. And I mean, some origins were kind of known for having mostly low quality and perhaps a very short shelf life, for example, um, due to problems with drying, etc. But I think that's also changed. But we, we refuse to buy coffees that we, we didn't love. For us, it's been positive because we've, we've felt like we can really stand behind our product and we've felt proud over the coffees we've, we've carried throughout the years. I also think that a lot of people now appreciate seeing the same, that we work with the same producers as we've done for a decade. They see that we we stick with them and, you know. You've stuck to your guns. You've got to love your coffee and you've got to be passionate about it and conveying that passion out there to your clients. It seems to work. And what about building teams? What are the lessons you might have learned in, in building, you know, great people around you? We've had some amazing people working with us throughout the years and some are have become our closest friends uh, actually but I think it's just like try to to treat um, your team members as well as you can and I think this is something we've improved over the years I wish uh, we we knew then what we know now but um, what we had to do was to just find the right person for the job and then train them so pretty much no one of the people that we've hired throughout the years had experience of coffee. We had to teach them everything, uh, which was both, I mean, a lot of hard work, uh, both for us and for them, uh, obviously. But uh, but I also think that it, we for sure found some stellar people that maybe we wouldn't have found otherwise. What are those things that you and Charles might have done differently if you could do it all again? We were managing our staff, and I think that we were probably doing it um, rather poorly, um, especially the first few years. And uh, that comes with, you know, 
the lack of experience. And now one of the first things, if I would do it again, one of the first things would be to find a, uh, like a key person that could be the one uh, managing staff and like taking care of managing the shop, but also, uh, also tra- training staff. And I think it's the way to go for sure, 100%. Also, it's sensitive because I, I know that it's, it's hard for, you know, if someone's unhappy with something, it's much harder to communicate that if you have to say it's directly to, to the boss, I think. Rather than if you would have a person in between, you could be like, hey, I'm experiencing this and it's bothering me. You know, how can we... How can we work it out? <clears throat> that goes for, I mean, both parties, obviously, both the employees, but also us as, um, as owners of, of the business. Yeah, so I think, I mean, management is uh, super, super important. And I for sure would have <laughs> wanted to, um, to do it better. And so what are you most excited about now going forward? What are the opportunities you see ahead? And you know, what gets you up in the morning to do what you do every day? Exploring the new, the new uh, coffees from the new roaster has been super fun. And then, I mean, my biggest passion for sure is to, to travel and, and visit the, the people we work with, the producers. So I'm looking forward to traveling again, actually. I haven't, I haven't been hardly traveling at all during the pandemic. So how do you go about finding a producer that you want to work with? Clearly you're working with a lot of, you know, you're very loyal to a lot of producers that you've already got, but um, what's your, um, I guess, definition or ideal producer to work with? And how do you find them? I mean, it, it kind of starts starts with the coffee, I would say. That's how it's started in the past. Like, I go somewhere and cup lots of coffees and find some amazing coffees and then we've we've visited the producers of of those coffee coffees on the table and i mean i would say that pretty much every producer i've met during my travels i mean they're always super sweet they're always very hospitable and and kind of just uh, very sweet people but um if you find someone that has a, like a genuine interest in what they're doing and they're curious to, to explore how they can perhaps improve whatever it might be. It might be uh, a kind of um, upgrading the processing um, station, Beneficio, or perhaps testing new varieties. Yeah, whatever it is, it's like if, if the producer is interested in seeing where they can take their own coffee, uh, that's normally a very, very good sign. I think... The people we, we work with are, they're super great, really, really fantastic, uh, warm, friendly, but also knowledgeable and, and working hard to, to constantly improve quality. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's all I want. What else would you like to achieve in coffee? Um, it's a big question. <laughs> what I want to do is to keep working with fantastic producers and hopefully grow a little bit as a company. No, but I, I think to be able to, to work the way we do now, uh, work with both fantastic coffee producers on one end, but also um, get to work with really, really lovely wholesale clients uh, around the world. 
is all I can can wish for. And I mean, hopefully grow the business a little bit, but at the same time, we we are actually probably the only business <laughs> almost out there that we don't we don't want to get big because we want to kind of be in control ourselves. It's a very healthy outlook to life and business that uh, one would associate with a sort of a Swedish uh, lifestyle, actually. In one way, growing a business is, of course, great. It can be great, but it's also more stressful. Um, there's also larger risk financially and so on involved. So and we've, we, we had, I think we were 15 or 16 uh, when the team was at its biggest. And both Charles and I didn't feel <laughs> comfortable with, with, uh, with that size. So um, we, we, we enjoy scaling down. And thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was uh, delightful. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. And if you want to stay well informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. Link is in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Brister. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. <laughs>